All right, we're um, I'm going to get started here. Um, before I begin, I think it's uh, I think it's somebody's birthday today. <laughs> somebody got him good already. <laughs> so, uh, so uh. So we'll go ahead and we'll start with a little happy birthday. How's that sound? I like it. I'm like, it's not yeah, well, we got a few choir members in here. I think they can take classes place up a little bit. So. Yeah, yeah. All right, one, two, three. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Mike. Happy birthday to you. That's fantastic. So, Mike, uh, great celebration on Sunday, and it was it was uh, great to see you honored and celebrated. So, enjoyed it very much. So, thank you. Um, okay, we're gonna start. Uh, Jason has a few words that he's gonna share, and then uh, I've got uh, some additional information on the compassion experience. Thanks. Hey guys, I'm so glad to uh, be here. Anytime to come speak to you amazing men uh, is a great opportunity. Remember, about this time last year, I came before you and told you about a wonderful program that we're just about to start called the Journey uh, Program. And we have finished a very successful year. We had a lot, actually more students and more adults than we uh, actually thought we were going to have. Uh, and part of that was due to this group and the recruitment we got from this group. We had several several of you in here, our journey leaders, um, wanted to pitch that again to you uh, and remind you that it's not about age at all. Some of you say, well, I've got grandkids older than those youth. And so, you know, well, great. Then you know exactly how to handle them. And, and that means they, you know how to uh, spoil them and give them back to their parents. So that's your job, right? So... Um, but just a refresher as to what Journey is, it's a one-on-one mentorship, discipleship program that we're doing um, with our high school guys and girls. We pair you up with uh, with a high school guy, uh, either 9th, 10th, 11th, or 12th, mostly the older ones, the younger ones. Uh, we didn't have a single ninth grader in the program last year, and we had 35 high schoolers last year participated in the first first run. And so we were anticipating about 20, and we had 35 sign up. So um, basically, they go through a year, a school year, with their mentor. They meet at the most one hour a week. Um, that's the most we require of it, but at least one hour every other week. So we want you to try to meet at least twice a month uh, for at least an hour at a time. Those meetings don't necessarily have to be face-to-face. They can be on the phone, uh, but we like for at least once a month meeting face-to-face. Uh, kids love just going to have coffee or to go meet and get a milkshake or something like that. You're not expected to pay for that either, so don't worry about that. But uh, what you are expected to do is to have some time commitment to it to the point that you um, are kind of an, an advocate for them and you're also an accountability partner for them. You have a curriculum that you're given that they're expected to do. It's not like a Bible study curriculum. 
uh, the, the kids are able to choose a book. They have two choices of two books they can choose. Uh, they'll be given a book and you'll be given a book. And at some point during the year, you're kind of expected to read that book together and kind of have that discussion. They're given about five to seven books of the Bible that they're responsible for reading during that time. And you just, that's your guide that you read along those books and ask questions. What, it's really up to them at their speed, at their pace, what they want to read, when they want to read, when they have time to read. Uh, that's what we're really trying to do. We're trying to take them from point A to point B, whatever that looks like. A lot of them are a lot further along, and we had one kid last year who read all of his books of the Bible and his book within the first three months, and the, his leader couldn't keep up with him and couldn't answer all of his questions and came to me, and I was like, doesn't matter. Just do the best you can. You know, All he needs is someone just to talk to uh, along the way. And so uh, there are other things uh, for, to help them keep accountable for. There are service opportunities in there. There are worship requirements in there. It's not just about uh, studying the Bible or um, or doing that. So it's it's really how can they become more like Jesus, and how can you help them do that? That's the overall objective. Um, there are no requirements as far as having to go to a seminary or master's degree or any of that kind of stuff. We just want someone who cares about the kids and who's willing to give some time. And so uh, applications are on your table if you're interested. Um, if you served last year, hopefully I got in touch with everybody that has, and uh, let me know. You don't have to reapply. But uh, we start up September the 11th, excuse me, September the 18th is when we start. We're doing uh, registering right now for all the kids and the adults. Uh, this may not be for you, but you may know somebody who is looking to plug in or looking to, you know, have some time that they could really commit to something. Pass it along to them. Just have any questions, call me. Uh we start September 18th with a lunch after church. That's when you get to introduce to your, your mentee. And uh, then from there, it's up to you to form those relationships. Um, they are ex- they know what's coming, so they know to be expecting this interaction, but a lot of that will be up to you to initiate. Um, and that's probably the hardest part of the entire thing is trying to get together. I would say of everybody who's done it, Mike, Craig, uh, Eric, everybody who's done it, um, the hardest thing is getting together, uh, just finding that time. When you find a time, you know, I think, I think, I think Craig and them, y'all met every week or you tried to do, you set a specific time and it kind of worked. So once you can find it a little niche, a little time, it kind of is a lot easier that way. But still, um, I, you can talk to these guys. Raise your hand if you, just those three in here that have done it. Yeah. If you have any questions, you can ask these guys. Um, all three really enjoyed it, and all three I haven't heard or want to do it again. Yeah. And, and not on the spot. I've heard from his wife, hadn't heard from him. So. Uh. <laughs> she didn't say that. She said I. So, you know. That's right. That's right. So anyway, if you it, I, you can talk to these guys, they all really enjoyed it, um, and get some more clarity on it. You can talk to me, um, but I, I just want to throw it out there. Uh, from here, I know Stan Woolley was a mentor mentor last year. Several other people, and just again, it doesn't matter if you know if you even know the kids or you even have kids that age. It really doesn't. They just want someone who can pour some wisdom into them and some and some experience and. You guys have that. So, uh, thank you so much. And if you have any questions, again, let me know. Thanks, Tim. Thank you, Jason.
appreciate all you do for our youth and so um also you have another sign up sheet on your uh um sign up sheet it looks like this uh and this is i got a note from stacy graham so if um please sign up and if we need some additional information we can get it from stacy but rumc will be hosting the compassion experience here from thursday september 15th through monday september 19th Basically, the Compassion Experience is an interactive journey through two true stories of children living in developing countries, set up in two semi-trailers that will be parked in our parking lot at the corner of Mimosa and Magnolia. Each person who goes through the experience gets set up with an iPad and headphones that directs them through a uh, child's story. At the end, Compassion offers an opportunity to sponsor a child. I'm contacting you because we need to provide volunteers to help set up and tear down the experience specifically strong men, as Compassion tells me. I, I guess this is the right group for that, right? Strong men. Um, I was hoping we could recruit these volunteers from the men's breakfast this week. Setup will be Thursday morning, September 15th, from 8.30 to 12.30, and teardown will be Monday evening, September 19th, uh, from 8.30 to midnight when it's done. Um, so if you could, if you're interested, please, please sign up. Fantastic. All right. Great. Um, all right. So our speaker today is, uh, Ted, uh, Ted Moore. Everybody, I, I, I was, as I was writing it up, uh, yesterday, the reminder for all the men to be here, I was, you know, I was trying to think of the words and I would just say that, you know, Mike, Mike, besides Mike, Ted's probably one of the most familiar faces at Roswell, right? <laughs> I mean, everybody knows Ted, right? So that's the problem. <laughs> You know, everybody knows Ted. Ted's walked, you know, I've had three children baptized. Ted's walked me down, sat me where I'm supposed to sit, uh, brought me up to the, brought me up to the altar and, uh, brought our family up there and, and, uh, you know, I just, as you think about one of the things that we talked about when we put, put the men's group together, a couple of things I was thinking about is I said, one, there's a lot of men around Roswell that I see every week and who are, you know, we share, we share, we share a common faith. We, we live in the same community. We are, um, we're, you know, we're, we're in the same same circle, but we're really friendly strangers. Don't know much about each other and don't know, um, you know, need to know more, you know. But we're when we get on campuses, you know, we're all busy going in our different different directions and different angles, and you know, you know, I think one of the things that I think is so important is community and just developing a connection and. You know, that's why, one of the reasons why we, we do what we do. We, we come each week and we have an opportunity to learn a little bit more about each other. And, uh, anyways, by the way, this is, I think we're entering our fourth year now. This is our fourth year of, of the men's breakfast. So, um, and so I want to thank all those that have come before, but, you know, Ted's a perfect example of that. You know, he's a perfect example of somebody that leads us in worship each week. Um, he serves faithfully at the church. You know, he's, um, Obviously, it's got a very strong faith and um, has to be very passionate, a passionate disciple to do what he does. I mean, you just you just see him there every week. And I've seen him there every week for as long as I can ever remember. And we're just blessed to have a man like Ted who is willing to serve um, uh, with, by the way, he's got a huge smile and he, uh, he's just uh, a big, big, warm, welcoming smile. And to have someone like him that, just comes here every, you know, every week and, uh, faithfully serves the church and, um, helps people take their next step. 
uh, I, I just think is such a blessing. So, Ted, we, we're grateful for your service here, and we look forward to learn, learning more about you, uh, you and your journey today. Thanks. I knew I would get all those kind words. I would have done this a long time ago. <laughs> well, Tim, thank you, and the gentleman, thank you. Uh, thank you for letting me be here today. I'm really excited about being here, and I'm always excited about talking about usher because I've been doing that for a long time. But before I really get into that, I would like to spend a few minutes just sharing a little bit about me, where I've come from. Uh, second, how I got to be here at Roswell United Methodist Church, and how you got stuck with me. And third, we'll get in finally into the usher ministry, which said there's nothing uh, near and dear in my heart than the usher ministry. But first, a little bit about me. First, obviously I go by Ted. Everybody knows that. But that's not my real name. Uh, how many of you all in here really know what my full real name is? I know some of you do. Most of you probably don't. I know Tim does. It's William Edward Moore. I could become the next king of England with a name like William <laughs> Edward Moore, except for those two good-looking guys ahead of me. Uh, uh, but uh, Ted is a neat name for Edward. Edward Kennedy, Ted Kennedy. Uh, don't know when I was named Ted, Ed Kennedy wasn't even on the scene much yet at that point, but I was known as Ted. I've always been known as Ted. My dad was, was William, so he was Bill. My mom didn't want Big Bill, Little Bill, so I became Ted. But uh, if you ever see William Edward Moore, if you see the obituary that says William Edward Moore, it's me. Okay. <laughs> I was born in uh, uh, Radford, Virginia. My parents lived in Blacksburg, Virginia. Uh, I had my sister, uh, who was four years older than, than me. Uh, my sister was named Anne. I have a wife, Anne. I have a grandmother, Anne. I have an Aunt Anne, and I have a granddaughter that's Addison Anne. So Anne is a pretty important name in our family. Uh, uh, I was in Radford just for, uh, and my parents were living in Blacksburg. There was no hospital in Blacksburg, so I was born in Radford. I was there for about two months. My uh, parents went to Richmond, Virginia. I was there for about two months. And then uh, about six months, I was about six months old, and we moved to Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And Oak Ridge is a little town about 40 miles outside of uh, Knoxville, and back, and this is, uh, we're going way back, guys, this is, ni- this is 1950, we're going way back, uh, there was a little thing called the Atomic Energy Commission at the time, and you couldn't get to Oak Ridge, Tennessee if your life depended on it, there were no signs to get there, you couldn't get there, my dad worked for the Atomic Energy Commission, he was a chief transportation officer for them, uh, he was responsible for shipping the atomic fuel uh, from Pittsburgh uh, to uh, to all the sub bases, but uh, we lived in Oak Ridge for six years. I remember one time my dad took me to you know you see this like a James Bond movie. You know you got the big pools of water and the atomic reactors are in there and it's bubbling up. I got I was about five years old. I got to put on a white coat, you know, and had a little badge for radioactivity. And I thought I was the coolest dude in the world. I mean, there's a picture of me and I just thought I was the coolest dude. Uh, but uh, when we, I was seven, my dad was transferred to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, the Atomic Energy Commission contracted out to Westinghouse to actually make the fuel. And, uh, and my dad was responsible for transporting uh, the fuel from Pittsburgh to all the different sub-bases, Norfolk, San Diego. So I actually grew up in Pittsburgh, went to grade school there, went to middle school there. Uh, went to high school there. Uh, and, 
went to college in a little small school called Franciscan University. It's a Catholic school. Uh, it's about 45 miles outside of Pittsburgh. It's in Steubenville, in the wonderful town of Steubenville, Ohio, uh, otherwise known as Dean Martin's birthplace. Uh, when I was in college, the, the big thing was how many, how many fraternities could steal. The, the, the main uh, road in Steubenville was Dean Martin Boulevard. And the, the contest every year was who could steal the sign off the highway. That was the big thing, the Dean Martin Boulevard. Uh, uh, I majored in accounting. Uh, I'm basically a bean counter most of my career. I'm an auditor. Uh, I've, uh, I'm a certified public accountant. I'm a certified internal auditor. I'm a certified fraud examiner, and I'm a charter life underwriter. Otherwise, I'm just a bean counter. Uh, I worked for the Equitable Life Insurance Company for 25 years, started with them right out of college. Uh, spent two years with KPMG in a consulting practice. Uh, for nine years, I was a chief audit executive for a company called OneSource, and then that company got bought out. And for the last nine years, I'm just pretty much been an independent contractor. I work for a consulting company, and I do uh, financial, high-level financial consulting for companies like Verizon, AT&T, NCR, Federal Home Loan Bank, uh, Voya, Crawford & Company, companies like that. So that's basically, I'm a contractor. Uh, sometimes I work, sometimes I don't work. Today, I'm not working. <laughs> uh, I started right out of school with the Equable. My first assignment was Charleston, West Virginia. I was there one year. I went through a management training program. Then I was transferred to Grand Rapids, Michigan for two years. And then I was transferred from the, I was in insurance operations, and they transferred me to the internal audit department because my background was accounting, and they wanted to get more true accountants into the audit group. So I became uh, an auditor. And they transferred me from Grand Rapids to Cleveland, Ohio. And, but I was, I didn't live in Cleveland, Ohio. I was based in Cleveland, Ohio. And the difference is from 1975 to 1979, when I was traveling, I would travel the country doing audits of our company's client locations. And when I started in Cleveland, uh, I gave up my apartment in Grand Rapids and didn't get a place to live in Cleveland. So I lived out of the trunk of my car for four years. 1975 to 1979, didn't have a home. It's wherever, whatever city I was in, whatever motel I was in, that was my home. All my mail went to my mom and dad in Pittsburgh. Every couple of weeks, mom would package it all up and ship it to wherever I was. Uh, when I was in Cleveland, I would go to, to uh, the romantic spots of uh, Cleveland, Ohio, Detroit, Michigan, Cincinnati, and Indianapolis. That was kind of my territory. And then January of 1977, I was transferred to Atlanta. And I worked in the uh, the Echo Building downtown, that big black building downtown. Uh, that's that's where I worked for here again. When I came down here, I was only here a month or two a year. Most of the time, I was out on the road. I would spend a month in Memphis, and then a month in St. Louis, and a month in Kansas City, and a month in Denver, and a month in L.A., and come back to Dallas and to Houston and Miami, and come back to Atlanta, turn around and do it all over again. Um, so for two years, when I was here in Atlanta, I really wasn't here all that much. But when I was here, I would uh, uh, stay, because I didn't have an apartment, I would have to, you know, stay in a motel and stuff, and I would stay at a place called Guest Quarters. You all probably remember that place. It was on Rosa Road down by Spalding, uh, and you could rent it by the week, by the month, and I would stay there, and uh, when, I, when I was working downtown, I would go and take the first, uh, the old Abernathy parking ride. Remember on Georgia 400 and Abernathy, they had an old parking ride there? 
Well, I would take Marta downtown, and I would always take the first bus out, 6.20 a.m. bus in the morning. And for two years, I would do it. Of course, I would be there a couple weeks, and I'd be gone for a couple months, and then I'd come back. But you got to know the people on the bus. After two years, the same bus driver, uh, same guys, sitting in the same spot. It was a bunch of girls that were going to Georgia State University. They'd always sit in the back. They'd always talk the whole time. Uh, but I didn't get to know any of them, per se. But I saw them. They saw me. And it would be one of those on and off kind of things. Well, come um, March of 1979, and I've been traveling now out of my truck and my car for four years, and I pretty much decided I had enough. Uh, I needed to have my own little home because I couldn't really do anything. I couldn't date couldn't go to church, couldn't belong to anything. So I said, you know, I really need to start thinking about, I mean, I was like 30 years old. I really thought I needed to grow up a little bit. You know, I said, I really need to start selling down here. So uh, so I was starting to look to get an apartment. And on in March of 1979, it happened to be Good Friday. And I was working downtown and I would see all these people in the morning, but I would never see really see them in the afternoon because I would always take a late bus. And those girls that I mentioned in the corner, well, one of them I happened to kind of take a fancy to. And um, on Good Friday of all days, you talk about God working in mysterious ways. This happened to be Good Friday in 1979. My boss came to me and said it was about 3 o'clock. He said, why don't you go home, Ted? There's nothing going on. I'm, leave. I'm getting ready to leave. It's Easter weekend. Of course, I had nothing to do. I had no place to go. I had no family. It was, it was just another weekend for me. It wasn't a big deal. I said, okay, sure. I'll be happy to leave. So I left early, and I caught an earlier bus. Well, on that bus was Ann. And when we got off the bus, she got off before me, and she turned around, and she noticed I had my college class ring on, and she asked me where I went to school. So we started talking, and we spoke for over an hour. And she said, you know, I really like to keep hearing and stand here and talk with you, but I really, my parents and I, we're going to Good Friday service tonight. I really need to go. And I said, oh yeah, I really need to go too. I was going back to the guest quarters and drinking beer. That's what I was <laughs> So the following, the following Wednesday, uh, we had lunch downtown. We started dating that following, that following weekend on Saturday. We was our first date. And a year and a half later, uh, we were married in this church, right up in the chapel. Dr. Malone Dotson, Reverend John Wolfe married us. Uh, Anne and her family uh, were already members of this church. They joined back in 1976, so they were already here. I joined actually a week before we got married. And then once uh, we, we were married, I started coming to church. And Anne was and still is, uh, sings in the choir, so she went in the choir, so I was sitting with her folks, Jim and Carlene Floyd. And so I would come and I would, I would do that. Now I have to, I have to tell you that I was not raised Methodist. I was raised Catholic. Uh, I, my mother was Irish Catholic. Mary McManus O'Nash Moore. <laughs> and my dad obviously was very English. So my dad, my mom was Catholic. My dad was actually Episcopalian. So, you know, uh, it wasn't, you know, unusual for me, the fact that, you know, I had already come from a house divided, you know. I mean, it wasn't like Georgia and Georgia Tech, but it was, you know, it was Catholic, Episcopalian. So making the jump to being a Methodist wasn't a huge jump for me. It wasn't a big leap of faith. I figured I could probably do that. Uh, so 
and it was kind of my view of Christianity, which is probably not shared by a lot of people, uh, and you're definitely not going to find this in the Bible, but I really think Christianity is like football. You've got a lot of teams. There's a lot of different uniforms. you just got to pick one, put on a uniform, and play the game. And that's what I, that's what I tried to do here, is play the game. And you play any way you want, but play the game. And that's what I tried to do here at Roswell. Uh, I tried to do that really, you know, through the, through the usher, uh, ministry. Uh, so, uh, shortly, a few months after, I was coming every Sunday, uh, and one Sunday, uh, two of our, uh, saints from the choir, Carolyn Cass and Mary Long, came over and brought Sig Hoekstraw over to me. And Sig was the head usher at the time, and they introduced me to Sig, and Sig asked me if I wanted to usher. And I said, well, let me think about this. Usher sitting next to my mother-in-law. Usher sitting next to my mother-in-law. <laughs> this is being and recorded. I de- <laughs> and I decided that ushering wasn't so bad. So I started ushering. That was in 1981. That was 35 years ago. And I've been ushering ever since. And I've been a head usher for 26 years. And I love it. Uh, it's, it's what I do. Which kind of brings me to the usher ministry. Uh, I couldn't think of anything. I've been doing it so long, I'm not sure I could do anything else. Uh, there's so many, we do so many things. Um, but the one thing that I, I've really appreciated over the years is the people I've met. People like you. Uh, I've met thousands and thousands and thousands of people just by being at those doors. And in my younger days, uh, I traveled a lot early on, and I continued to travel a lot even after Ann and I were married. And uh, uh, I don't know, it wasn't a week that went by that I would be down in the airport hanging on the thing on the bus, and somebody would go, I know you, I know you. Or <laughs> UMC, or UMC. I go, yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't travel much anymore. But uh, now the same thing happens today, but it happens at Kroger and Publix. And they go, I know you. And they said, I don't, we don't recognize you without a coat and tie on, though. So, uh, but I really have enjoyed it. It's, it's really offered me a chance to meet an awful lot of people. Uh, and our mission is, is pretty simple. Uh, it's to provide the best worship experience for anybody walking through that door, man, woman, and child. It's to provide a worship experience. We do that in a lot of ways, but our ultimate goal is not just to say hello. It's not to hand out a bulletin. It's not to take your, your take your money, although we're very happy to do that. Uh, it's really to make your experience while you're in the sanctuary the best worship experience that we can do. And uh, we do that in a lot of different ways. Uh, we interact with a lot of different uh, folks. Uh, a lot of different other ministries. That's one of the, actually the uh, the good things about the other ministry is we're just not within ourselves. We touch a lot of different other ministries. Uh, obviously, we work very closely with Mike and the ministers. We do whatever they need. If they need anything, want anything, we're there to assist them. Uh, we work with the altar guild. Uh, we work with the greeters, very closely with the greeters. The greeters help me out a lot, especially when I'm short of ushers and I need somebody to take a plate. The greeters are usually very kind to do that. Uh, Readers and ourselves work closely 
uh, taking people down to the nursery, taking them to kids zone, taking them to Sunday school classes. Uh, uh, you know, we do a lot of things to, to, to help those folks. Uh, we work with the choir, the praise team, uh, uh, Mike Grant's, uh, ops group, uh, basically when they're not around and the toilet gets stopped up in the, in the ladies room, uh, I'm the guy they come to. Uh, so, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, we also work with the finance group, the nursery downstairs. Uh, Esther does a wonderful job down there. Uh, probably a week doesn't go by that, uh, uh, that I'm not taking, especially first time people. Uh, this past Sunday I had two, two groups. First time people with two small children. Uh, you take them down, you introduce them, you spend time with them. Uh, they really do appreciate it. And that's really what we're supposed to be doing is trying to make the first impression the best we possibly can. Uh, we also work with the, uh, the emergency response team people, and I'll get back to that in a few, in a few minutes because that's one of the, the important things we do. Uh, so what is it we do? Well, we greet. I mean, most people, if you ask, what does an usher do? They'll say, well, they say hello to you and they'll hand you something. And we do that. We, we do that. Uh, but we do a lot more than that too. Uh, uh, we do hand out bulletins. We have the adult bulletin. We also have children's bulletins. You'll notice we have blue and green. Those are, they're done by ages. It's not just because that's the only kind of color stock we have. The, the green stock is for zero up to six years. The blue stock is from seven to 12 years, uh, of age. <laughs> uh, we have the prayer list. Uh, now you know we've gone to, uh, using a bulletin for two weeks and then every week we have a order of worship. The order of worship changes every week now. But we're using the same uh, uh, bulletin for two weeks now. Uh, we also, uh, uh, I usually, most Sundays now, I have to light the candles on the altar. Uh, we assist with communion both at 8.30 and also at 9.30 and 11. Uh, communion is always a challenge, especially in a sanctuary. It's a large facility. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Uh, the goal is to get everybody done at the same time. Uh, I've never been able to do that yet. But, but we get close. We try hard. We try hard. We also do the offering. You know, it takes, on 930 service, it takes about 15 ushers um, just to take collection. And 11 o'clock service with the balcony that's open uh, takes us about, uh, about 20, 20 plus ushers to do offerings. So just taking collection takes 15, 20 people. Uh, and uh, some Sundays it's a challenge to get 15 or 20 people. Uh, we also do, uh, we all put out the hearing aids. Uh, we do, we provide the, uh, the attendance count, the head count, uh, of both services. Uh, we do the attendance pads, uh, in terms of every, at the end of every service, we have to tear the attendance pads out. Uh, and we also then have to clean up the church. We do that before and after. Uh, we assist with concerts, both the, uh, the Sounds of the Spirit concerts, also the MOS concerts. I'm, I do every one of those too. Uh, and, uh, and we also do work with funerals and memorial services. We're doing actually more and more of that now. Um, uh, I get a call many times from Susan to see if we can assist with, uh, memorial services. You know, that, you know, over the, over the years, it's kind of swung a little bit. We used to have a lot of funerals. Now we're, we're having more and more memorial services. And usually a lot of the funeral homes aren't there for memorial services. They're for funerals, but not for memorial services. So, uh, we're actually being asked to do more and more to assist in, um, in, in a very difficult time. 
Uh, and so I've done actually quite a few of those over the last couple of years. Uh, we also work with uh, the baptisms, as Tim mentioned. Uh, there's probably uh, there's probably nothing that I enjoy more every Sunday is to do baptisms. Um, and that's probably one reason why you always see me do the baptism. I always do the baptism family. I think it's important. Uh, every Sunday we're bringing new Christians into the family of God. And that's what baptism's all about. And so I think it's really, really important. And I get a lot out of that, and what's one of the reasons why I kind of make sure I do it. Uh, but I think it's really, really important that, that we do that. The other, th- the other ministry that I want to talk about a little bit is the emergency response team people, because they're, they've been a, a, a blessing to me. Um, there's a group, a ministry, they're doctors and nurses, they volunteer their time. Uh, there's somebody on call every Sunday. They sit in a designated spot it's right inside the south door. There's a two blue ropes sitting there. That's their, that's where they sit. And, uh, they're there to assist us in case of a medical emergency. And we have had a lot of those over the years. I've had heart attacks. I've had, uh, uh, seizures. Uh, I've had broken bones. I've had bleeding everywhere. Uh, we had a child, uh, actually, uh, choked on a, uh, goldfish, um, uh, down in the, in the nursery. We had to do the Heimlich maneuver on him. Uh, we've had just about everything. I, I can say, however, on my watch, we have not lost anybody on the grounds. <laughs> That's my goal. Now, if they die en route, I mean, I can't help that. But we haven't lost anybody. And the, the emergency response people are wonderful. And they're, they're the first responders. Their, their role, their goal is when we have an emergency, ushers come get me, I go and get the emergency kit, I go get the emergency response team person, we go attend to the person and I stay with them until the, until the emergency response team person tells me if it's an emergency or not, if we need to do 911. And that's really what I'm waiting for. If the head goes up and down, I know it's 911 time. If they do this, then I know I can leave. Uh, but they're really, really important. They really have really helped us, and I really appreciate their uh, uh, their service. Um, we have a, about, at this point now, we have about 50 ushers. Uh, the way we're structured is we have two services, 930 and 11. Uh, we rotate month to month. Uh, if you want to, if you want to work every month, you're welcome to do that. Most guys choose to do uh, on a month, off a month. Uh, so we then basically have four groups of ushers. Uh, each door, we have the north door, south door, east door, and we also have the balcony uh, at 11 o'clock. We have uh, a captain that we have at each door. They're kind of responsible for that door. Each door is responsible for certain sections within the church. North door is responsible for sections 1, 2, and 3. East door is responsible for sections 4 and 5. South door is responsible for sections 6, 7, and 8. Uh, there, well, it's a technical hey, stuff. Hey, I, I know the number. Yes, know uh, yes. Uh, but they're responsible for for greeting, for taking collection, for doing communion. That's there for cleaning up the tennis pads. That's that's their section. Uh, and what's really happened over the years is, you know, the ushers, you know, they get assigned to a door. And over the years, what I've seen is a lot of those groups have become small groups, and they've become very, very good friends. And they've done the same thing many of you all do in terms of when there's issues and sicknesses and illnesses. 
they they help one another, and I've seen that a number of times. So even though we're a, a larger group, there we still have smaller groups within our group, and uh, I think that's one of the big benefits of, of the ushering uh, team. Uh, but we've been very very fortunate. I mean, I love I mean I love what we do, uh, and I want to talk about the dress code. We have no dress code. As much as you think we do, we don't. Uh, you can wear whatever you want. You can, uh, the 930 service is a little more casual. They do polo shirts, sports shirts. 11 o'clock guys tend to be a little bit more formal. They may have a coat and tie on, may not. Uh, it doesn't make any difference. I could care less about what people wear at the church. I have my own dress code, but it's for personal reasons. Uh, my dad, when I was, you know, small and small boy and we went to church, even though we went to Catholic church, he was Episcopalian, but he said, son, when you go to church, you wear a coat and tie. And if I ever get to heaven, and if I ever see my dad again, I do not want to have that conversation with him with what's up with the coat and tie. I'm not having that conversation. I'm just not going there. I'm just not going there. So please don't think you have to wear a coat and tie because I wore one. I have my own reasons for doing it. But I do, uh, I know you all were heavily involved in so many other ministries in the church. But uh, obviously we would love to have you to consider an usher. If God leads you in your heart, uh, we would love to have you. I think it's very rewarding. You have a lot of fun. You get to meet a lot of people. And you get to serve the Lord, which you all already do. Uh, I've, been, uh, I've been very fortunate in my life. Uh, I have two... Uh, I have two two homes. Uh, I have a family home with Ann and my daughter Christian, my son-in-law Cliff, and my granddaughter as and Ann. And uh, I've been very blessed. We've we've laughed, we've cried, we've gone through tough issues, going through tough issues, but we continue to serve one another and love one another. I'm also blessed to have a church home, and we also laugh and cry. We have weddings and funerals. And we go through difficult times and issues, but we always support one another and we always serve one another. So with that, I'm going to turn it back over to Tim. Thank you, gentlemen, for your time. I appreciate coming. And uh, and, and if I would have known you had bacon and eggs, I'd be coming here forever. <laughs> That's my favorite meal, bacon and eggs. Thank you, gentlemen.